All right, here we are. Welcome to another episode of Just Another Bozo on the Bus. I'm your host, Paul Randack, and I'm here with Gary Jones today, a friend and colleague. Gary, welcome. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> you are so welcome. I bet you're pretty excited and glad to be here. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for the canned audience clap. <laughs> canned would be a good word. <laughs> what audience? <laughs> that one out there, you don't see him? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I did see those when I came in, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of psychosis. Okay, um, no, uh, Gary, it's so great to have you here today, and I appreciate you taking part of your Sunday morning. Um, you know, you and I talk a lot about, um, well, the field we work in, of course. Um, but I noticed, when I was thinking about this before uh, before we, we got together today, and I'm thinking, what you and I mostly talk about, though, are about relationships, in some ways, you know, in our personal journey and experience of what we have, what we've been through. And I always kind of joke at how much, and you may not think of it the same way, but I always go, we, we, have a lot of, we have a lot in common as far as, you know, what we experienced growing up, even though we grew up in two different parts of the, the country, so mm-hmm. to speak, I guess you could say world, but um, we had a lot of similar experiences and maybe indoctrinated into a lot of the same things. Um, uh, certain family dynamics but music is important to uh, to you and 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 you like myself grew up yeah. playing music with lots of wishes and <clears throat> hopes and dreams surrounding that um but i i, I guess i'm kind of curious if if you would and just talk about your journey to to get to this place where um you found your yourself working in the healthcare field or or working in counseling and 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 that how, how did you end up getting here what what's your story around that oh geez <clears throat> i th- i think it was um boredom and laziness <laughs> to be honest thank you thank you for your honesty Gary. <laughs> no, it, it really was i i uh <clears throat> my background is uh, i i came from a really small town um a suburb of ely nevada a town called mcgill and um, my heroes, my grandfather and my dad, uh, my dad, for instance, had one job in his whole life. And and uh, he started out on the, the track gang at Kennecott. Working, started out on the what? The track gang. Oh. Uh, you oh. know, on the railroad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For yeah. Kennecott. And just as a laborer. And and stuck with it until he worked his way up into the offices. Uh, ended up they ended up putting him through school at the uh, start of the computer age, and so he eventually became a computer systems analyst, designer, and project manager. Um, so he went from train gang. That's that's the term, right? Used yeah, to use. Tra- track gang. Track tra- tra- track gang. gang. I remember chain yeah. gang. When yeah, chain gang. <laughs> I don't know what metaphors I'm getting mixed that's, up here. That's but. from your rock and roll career, Paul. What's yeah. <laughs> a song called? Well, it is a song. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess maybe I'm thinking of the inter the Intercontinental Railroad or whatever you call that thing that was built. You know, in the, Golden yeah, Spikes. The stuff, Golden yeah. Spikes, yeah. Because it met somewhere here in Utah, right? Wasn't that where yeah, it met? I, I think so. the West met or something? I don't know. But anyway, sorry. I, no, I, I digress quickly. Yeah, we do that a lot. 
<laughs> anyway, um, it was kind of a, a family value that that you just did. it was the the old American dream where you would you would start out on a job and you just work hard at it and you'd stay there and mm-hmm. you know he he ended up. Um, being highly educated without ever having a college degree, you know, and supervised a lot of people who had masters and even doctorate degrees. Um, but but anyway, so so I kind of idolized he and my grandpa, who who also worked for Kennecott for forty five years. Oh my gosh! And and these uh, were lifers. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that you know, that's what was expected. I was from mm-hmm. a small town where everybody worked for Kennecott. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just what you did. Uh, and your position in life was more dictated around how hard you worked rather than anything really else. Yeah. So, so I I kind of saw myself as a as a laborer, and and uh, I I did. I did go to to school shortly um, <clears throat> when I was supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, Wait, are you telling me you did what you were well, told? <laughs> well, so, sort of. Not not really, though. I I I actually left high school uh, during my senior year, and just no. I I I just I was so bored with it that I just said I'm going to go get my GED. And go to work. So I, <clears throat> I just dropped out during my. It was kind of a mutual agreement. I dropped out, but they didn't want me to be there. So uh, <clears throat> went to work. Well, yeah, the principal in particular. <laughs> the first day of my senior year, after the welcome back announcements, they said, "Gary Jones at the office, please." <laughs> I thought, well, wait. <laughs> well, I haven't done anything yeah, yet. We just got back. Exactly. <laughs> and he just called me in just to set the record straight that they weren't going to play with me that year, that any screw-ups and you're out. Mm-hmm. And so I took the next two weeks off and had to bring my parents back in two weeks later and mm-hmm. set the boundaries. But <clears throat> but uh, anyway, I I did a lot of labor Jobs worked worked um, in a chemical factory at a at a wood mill. I, I spent a lot of years in a foundry. Mm-hmm. It was actually a journeyman molder, mm-hmm. which was a really fun job. Uh, but <clears throat> but I eventually ended up like my dad and my grandpa at Kennecott. No shit. I did. Yeah, and and that and I, and I I finally thought my life was on track. You know, oh. all these other because yeah, exactly. In comparison exactly. to exactly. you know fa- family dynamics and family history, this absolutely. But oh, I get it. Um, but after being there a couple of years, we went out on strike. I'm getting quite used to strike every. I, I actually, yeah. when, when was what, what what decade was are we talking? about? <clears throat> well, that would have been. Um, Shoot, that was back in the seventies. That's what I was thinking. Seventies. Yeah, <clears throat> and um, for for the first time since probably the age of fifteen, uh, I, I wasn't working, and, and I and I actually was uh, the union. There was there was union subsidies plus I got unemployment, and I was 
I was actually making some incredible bank just sitting at home. <laughs> and and, and I, I was really old school, so my wife had never worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had, we had five kids with the youngest in diapers. And, and uh, it was kind of her opportunity to say, well, you sit home with the kids for a while, ah. and I will go get a, a, a job. And you were still getting your benefits. Yes, I was getting benefits and right. employment and all that kind of stuff. So, so anyway, where the boredom and lazy part comes into this story we're telling is, is after being a babysitter and a house dad for three or four months, a friend of mine said uh, that worked at Kennecott with me said, <clears throat> I volunteer on the weekend at a prison diversion program. And it's a volunteer position, but it's a blast, and you should come do it. It's a blast. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I thought, wow, prison and, diversion, and diversion yeah, program. Yeah. And yeah. No, I get it. I get it. This is different, too. It's well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was actually, it wasn't in, in the prison. It was a pilot project um, that, uh, no, actually it was in, I, I can tell you, it was 80, 1982. Um, and it was a it was a pilot pro- program that that we had done under not we because I wasn't <clears throat> on when they did it, but it was a project where they created a residential treatment center, hmm. and <clears throat> rather than put people in prison, it was for f- for first. Adult male offenders. The first time offenders. Yes, first time offenders for a for a felony. Well, they um, and this uh, is this. I mean, I'm making an assumption here, but um, this is substance abuse related, or no? No. No. Oh, no. This is just any type of. No, any kind of adult. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah we, right. we we had people in there for uh, for uh, just just about everything you can imagine <laughs> from from bank robbery to yeah. assault to we had. A few sex offenders, although that couldn't be their primary. <coughs> uh, right, because they were not allowed in the... Okay. Yeah. Right. But, but anyway, uh, the idea was is that they went to this treatment center for up to 18 months uh, rather than being in prison. And, and it was a, a level system kind of a token economy program <clears throat> where you come in and for the first two or three months you're not allowed out of the program and you earn the right to go to, for, to, for free time and to eventually get uh, job search hmm. uh, <clears throat> where you go <clears throat> back in t- and integrate back into the community but it was really highly monitored therapeutically monitored mm-hmm. and their privileges were all earned Huh. Based on their, and, and it was actually a, it was probably one of the best programs I've ever seen. It was well, I, I'm getting that this was the, this, you pilot, you were involved with piloting this program, yeah, and you know you were actually, I mean, I guess as you know, as a uh, group of people working with this population, you were beginning to see results. Oh yeah, it, it was incredible, <clears throat> and. My involvement with it is, as I went in as a volunteer, where where I would just go in and relieve the weekend staff, and eventually, uh, to get back to Kennecott, they they <laughs> uh, 
the strike ended and they called everybody back to work and by then I was I was actually uh, had taken a, a position as a counselor trainee uh, and well, so after I, the so strike I, was over yeah okay. and, and so I stuck with that even though it was probably a quarter of the money uh-huh. uh, because it was just so fascinating uh-huh. and interesting but but I worked my way up in this company to uh, when a new contract came out, they actually, I, I became the program manager. So I was the, the program manager over the prison diversion project. And, and what time period is this between this, when you were at Kennecott and when you became the manager? Is this a, a couple, I mean, how long, I mean, because I know strikes actually lasted for a while back then, right? Um, yeah, it was it was quite a while. I think it was six or eight months, I, if I remember correctly. Um, a long period of time. Yeah, it was a long period of time. Yeah, and 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 they had actually kind of broken the union. They had gone in and and uh, they had offered eventually probably not even three quarters of what we were making when we went on strike. Oh my gosh! And so <clears throat> so they actually broke the union, but. Um, and when you say they, you're talking uh, about Kennecott kind of management. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I can't remember if it was. I don't think it was Rio Tinto back then. I can't remember who the who the who owned Kennecott. Um, anyway, <clears throat> excuse me, but that's how I got involved and introduced to the field. Uh, and the company I was working for was uh, they had their hands in a lot of different things. They had a. a of course, that was a, a residential treatment center uh, for the state, and they did. They also did all of the outpatient drug and alcohol treatment for APMP. Oh, then. so okay. so we had so we had the contract for prison diversion uh-huh. and all the outpatient. We did we did treatment, drug and alcohol treatment inside of the prison as well, and then we had a county contract with uh, to do public inebriate house uh northwest passage mm-hmm. uh, i think they might still be around to to do residential support which okay. is kind of sober living it was uh, the the grandfather of all the sober living that county funded yes yeah uh, so eventually uh, we had a change we elected a new governor who was not as treatment supportive of treatment as the, <clears throat> as the old governor and and he was this was this banging or was this um, do you remember who well I, I remember all I remember is they put a guy named Gary Deland in to the position over over corrections okay and he was a I believe he was a sheriff or he was some kind of a law enforcement officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, who came right out on TV and said, "I don't believe in rehabilitation." Mm-hmm. And that well, wasn't that like the. Actually, I'm thinking back in Utah at that time, this late 70s, early 80s. Wasn't that like the last Democratic governor yeah. that was yeah. here or something? Yeah, I think so. It was like Matheson or somebody, right? Or am Matheson I, am I? or or. Yeah, I can't remember. Yes. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I can see the guy in my head. I can't put a, can't put a name to the face. Well, I get the Owens family mixed up, but they were Levitt senators. Wayne was a senator, yeah. I think. Too. 
but but anyway, we we started putting a lot of money into uh, new prisons. It's when they, you know, the whole Gunnison thing. And mm-hmm. they, oh yeah. They, yeah. they 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 really just said we're we don't believe in this treatment stuff. We're just so rehabilitation, to, yeah. right? Uh, and in fact, in eighty five, June of eighty five, I was when I was the the program manager. Uh, they took our our CEO uh, every every three years. They were three years soft money contracts where mm-hmm. they would they would take our CEO out to lunch, and usually it was La Parisienne up there across the street from the jail. And they would they would do a fine lunch and have a bottle of wine, and they would sign the contracts. Interesting. <laughs> I see. Yeah. And so they did that as usual, and they they uh, had a nice nice lunch, and uh, then they informed. That could, that could be going on in any, uh, you know, Italian or French restaurant anywhere in the country, and you know the the probably the is, players would well, probably be very similar. <laughs> probably <Yeah>. is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I grew up yeah. just outside New York City, and I I can yeah. imagine that mm-hmm. happening in my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Then Riverside or Greenwich or somewhere in there. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, they they finished lunch and they they are uh, said we're not signing contracts this year. In fact, uh, we are going to pick up our our uh, I guess you'd call them inmates. Uh, from your program, nobody needs to know. We will be there at five o'clock with officers. That day. That day. Oh my! And so, so I got I got a page back then. We had pagers. Yeah. Sa- saying <laughs> saying uh, here's what's going to happen, and uh, I think we had eighteen people. It was an eighteen bid program, mm-hmm. and we were surrounded by about fifty officers, APMP officers. And they handcuffed and hauled all of our our people away. Some of them who had been in the program for you know a year and a half. And it made and they, made, they went, made good they, progress. I'm well, they guessing. went, yeah, 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 absolutely. And the program itself was. Uh, were they all taken to prison? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because okay. they were all. Because the deal was, and one of the reasons it was so effective is they all were sentenced to prison. But the, it was their sentence was diverted mm-hmm. upon completion of the program. It was kind of like that. It was it was along the same concepts of what drug court is now. Yeah, the same kind of thing. Diversion. Exactly. So we diver, will divert you away from jail or prison, and you spend a year in this program or more. And if you complete the program successfully, then your charges exactly you know, get ex- dropped, or you don't. I don't think they get expunged, right? But they're. I I the don't expungement separate. I, I don't remember if they expunged if if that was part of the deal, but they certainly didn't have to go to prison. Yeah. Uh, whereas what you know, for instance, I remember, um, and I talk a lot about this uh, with people who are going into the career and talk about it in in the in the terms of uh, transference, counter-transference. But but I, I had a client who who, when I first started, had worked for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. was a couple of weeks away from graduating from the program. Uh, I signed off on a weekend pass for him to go home, spend the weekend with his wife and his two children. And he came back in on Monday and peed dirty for pot. 
and and of course he went straight to prison because that was part of the deal. It you, was it was yeah, black and you, white. You, yeah. yeah, it's so, completely black and white. Yeah. A dirty UA, and you, we just call your PO, and you know you're you're in county jail awaiting transport mm-hmm. to the to the joint, and so um, and 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 for me. Uh, just kind of take a little side road for me i that really sent me off the deep end because i mm-hmm. thought i signed his pass <laughs> <laughs> oh so yeah talk about <laughs> yeah I, I signed his pass and i tra- you know you took on exactly what right. didn't i do right. now this guy after all this right. work's going to prison and i i really i really took a lot of responsibility and ownership around yeah. his failure and, um, well, and, and if if it's based upon watching someone's progression, you know, towards exactly. you know, and being successful and making progress, yeah. it's not. I mean, and you and I have these conversations a lot about, you know, personalizing, mm-hmm. you know, and it's almost as if one needs to wear themselves down over time to realize the um, inefficiency for being objective when it comes to any type of counseling or or therapy to personalize anything the client ever does yeah. though that's difficult because well gosh darn it we're human beings well, yeah and I, and, I, and I did and I, I i thought this guy well, he was the rock star on my caseload you uh-huh. know i thought he was if anybody was going to make it he would uh-huh. uh, but but i was i was extremely lucky in that uh the people i worked for um recognized my emotional response to what happened and they just said you know we're, we're pulling you off the line you can't be around our clients if you're going to have an emotional reaction to their success sure. or failure yeah. and they they did we had uh we had a psychiatrist uh three phds and about five lcsws who just passed me around for, for about two months, uh-huh. gave me reading materials uh-huh. and stuff, and sat with me and and, and just completely retrained my mind around uh-huh. what what that really meant. And, and what I found out eventually is really more about me than it had to do with the clients. Uh-huh. You know, what's fascinating is the that just just in itself to hear you. I mean, I think you you told me this story before, but to hear it and think about it in context of today, mm-hmm. that you would have the opportunity to work and be trained with such you know with skilled people, mm-hmm. and they had a plan to do that over that period of time. You don't see that as much no, today no, no, as no, you no. do. I mean, I, that kind, of especially individualized uh, attention. Oh, I've know? never worked for a company like that before. <laughs> you know, when when I when I was uh, the uh, uh, program director over that pro uh, eventually over that program we had one of my mentors was a, a phd a, a doctor out of uh evanston mm-hmm. who who was running who had ran the wyoming state hospital for a while and you know he was kind of at the twilight of his career but but i used to send him we we would kind of as a i would go to my staff and find out which client was causing them the most problems or or that they were the most difficult client <laughs> and i would send the chart the medical record including the level two evaluation uh-huh. all this stuff to this this doctor up in wyoming and he would come down every two weeks 
and do a four-hour training around how to deal with that type of a client. And it could be, you know, and, and so we learned a lot about... Pre- he was a savant. <laughs> oh, my God. He was and he, he was this incredible guy that yeah. has had his own incredible, incredible story. Yeah. Um, but what a lens! What a, what a lens to be able to see things through and be so clear about them, yeah. because that is really a gift. I mean, I use the word gift because education can't teach that, right? Yeah. I mean, no, I, I think no, you no, agree. Well, you, well, that's not something you learn. <clears throat> no. To have such kind of perception, you need to go through your own. I mean, you just said he has his own credible story too. Yep. So to get to that place, we we need to have some experience in our life where we unpack our own personal shit, but yeah. we're in an environment where we're having to being for, I don't want maybe forced is not the, the best word, but we're being challenged to do things that we normally wouldn't do. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, I, I yeah, sub- he, subvert. Excuse me. Yeah. I remember, I remember sitting behind my desk. Um, one, one of the things that we used to do is we used to uh, approve or deny free time and weekend passes for these people. I was sitting behind my desk one day on a Friday when he was there for training, and I had denied a pass. And and the guy that I denied it for, uh, and it had to have been one of his first ones because he came in my office and he was a big big guy. He was probably in there for armed robbery or something. I don't know. He actually had the physical thug. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, He looked like a thug a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He was like (laughs) a little Hulk probably in a in a wife beater shirt or something. I just, <laughs> at least that's the way my mind puts it together. <laughs> but but he comes in my office and he is livid and and yelling and screaming mm-hmm. about this past. Well, Dr. Morrill was in there with me and he just points at him and he just he just he just laughs hysterically. <laughs> this, this is this is partly where you learned this technique. Exactly, exactly, exactly. I kind of wondered where I learned it, but now I know where you learned. It. Well, and, and and he just and the guy just looks at him like that's not the response I usually get, you know. Mm-hmm. But he, but he was so shocked. You're laughing at me, and the and and doctor. The good doctor just says, you do that well. Look how well you do this fit you're throwing. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> good job. Bravo. And, good and, job. And, and he really meant it. He genuinely meant that. That, you know, wow, as far as fits, that's one of the best fits I've seen for a long time. I'll bet. I'll bet. Let's talk about the response you usually get. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. How do people usually behave and react <laughs> exactly. to you after you, you sort of lay <laughs> exactly. out this agenda? Exactly. You're just shaking his head going, this is great. This is wonderful. Wonderful fit. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it was a technique of disengagement that I, I'd never seen because, mm-hmm. of course, I, it's, it scared the shit out of me. You know, this guy comes in my house thinking, oh, my God, you know, I'll think twice this about, about the, yeah. This guy could hurt me if he wanted to yeah. right now pretty badly. Uh-huh. <laughs> and my first thought was I'll have to think twice about denying his passes, which uh, is exactly course, yeah. what the guy wanted, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, but there were a lot of just real life, live learning lessons that, that came out of that um, 
So, but the original question, Paul, was <laughs> I don't remember what, it. Why did I get into this field? <laughs> oh know, yeah, that was it, it was. <laughs> 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 I couldn't remember what it was. Yeah. Just, <laughs> all right. I'll go with that. Uh, it, it, it was laziness, you know. That that was a, even though I was making a lot less money. I mean, what what a joy to 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 sit back and and learn not just about uh uh about people, but 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 I think what we eventually do is we learn about ourselves as yeah. well. Yeah. You well, I definitely believe and experience that this is a this is a path of of self awareness and self understanding yeah. and self actualization even or we wouldn't be able to do yeah. the, the what's what's required yeah. to serve people in this way. I mean it would not it wouldn't happen if we weren't able to do our, yeah. our own work. So this this idea of learning um learning how sort of some of these games work mm-hmm. and and realizing how quickly we can personalize the experiences of other people and take them on. The story of your your uh, client going out on pass and, and and using, and then you know you personalizing that, and then this experience with being <laughs> with someone who was very manipulative and used their strength mm-hmm. and well, I don't know if it's you know aggression or any social type of behaviors <laughs> to. You know, say, hey, guess what? You know, I'm going to be a threat to you in your yeah. life if you don't give me what I want. Yeah. And then to watch, you know, the art, I guess the, the mastery or the artfulness of calling somebody mm-hmm. out and doing it with actually humor, it yeah. sounds like, because um, my uh, this this idea of learning how to use humor in these moments to be able to diffuse a situation is really kind of a, a gift in some ways, because even even the idea of this, you know, getting together and talking and the idea behind this podcast is to kind of show how we're all kind of the same. I mean, we're yeah. all human. We all have that bozo quality, you know, yeah. when we take ourselves too seriously. And this gentleman that you were with, you know, portraying that your your mentor, so to speak, or someone mm-hmm. who you, you really respected as far as their ability um, to unpack somebody right in front of you and diffuse them. I think that might be the word you may have used. And, and what, do you, what, I, what I eventually learned, <clears throat> I think it was it could, it could possibly be the most valuable tool, I think, that we use. <laughs> and, and here's what it is. <clears throat> is they tried to teach me to, to be vulnerable enough to understand how people made me feel. Okay, so so in this case, what what my initial response was was fear, hmm. and, and if you if if somebody wants you to feel fear, the last thing that you want to give them mm-hmm. is fear. So so so. Well, because then they they think, they think they've got they've well, got you. Well, or not not just that, but you're furthering the pathology. Yes. You know, let's switch that a little bit. Are you talking about enabling? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, in in a, in, a, in a way, uh, and another example might be uh, there are a lot of borderline clients that when you first meet them, you will feel seduced. Mm-hmm. You'll feel like hugging them and just going, "Oh, it's okay. It's going to be all or, right." For me, that is. If you give them that response and you feed into that belief system they have about themselves, 
you are helping them further that behavior. Right. <clears throat> so you're so you, furthering you, the pathology, the it, problem. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, so it doesn't matter what a client's issues and their belief systems about themselves and their world is. Your ability to understand how they make you feel is your is your gift, is your gift and your insight <clears throat> into how you begin helping this person. Mm-hmm. Okay, but but in doing that, you also have to do a lot of introspection of your or own, be willing to or or willing to yeah, yeah you know to, to to say oh yeah that that guy kind of scares me mm-hmm. you know and, and then then to say. You know, to do that whole process of well, yeah, I, I could get hit if I laugh at him, <laughs> which, which I have. <laughs> you have, you have well, laughed. Well, I know well, you've yeah, laughed, yeah, so you're going to say, yeah, well, "I've gotten hit." Well, I've gotten hit a lot of times, especially with adolescents, mm-hmm. be- because especially adolescents will throw that tantrum and will do that. You know, do that. They'll lash out. Exactly, and 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 they have they have uh, less impulse control than adults mm-hmm. do, and so a lot of times, you know, uh, you do get an escalation with them, which has caused me to get hit a few times. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I mean, I have we have um, uh, former clients. Um, that sort of introduce themselves into this field and they end up find themselves working in some of these organizations and agencies that work with adolescents, um, especially when there's developmental issues. Mm-hmm. And that's a normal behavior. I mean, the ch- they know every day that there's chances. I mean, some of these, these, um, some of these people get hit every day by yeah. the clients. Oh, yeah, you know, absolutely. These clients. Yeah. <clears throat> absolutely. Yeah. It's, it just becomes part of the practice. They look, And, of course, the rules that we have nowadays are hands-off. You know, I mean, nothing. I yep. mean, you can restrain if need be, but most of the time it's hands-off. It's just protection, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I was working in the psych hospitals back in the day when they did mechanical restraints. And, and I remember <clears throat> the big push for, for, to, to get away from that. And uh, most of the people inside those institutions uh, were scared shitless. They were scared shitless if they could not um, restrain somebody and and give them a shot of Thorazine or Haldol mm-hmm. or something of that nature to to calm mm-hmm. them down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we could, that that sounds like a whole separate podcast, but that that whole idea of of how that whole system you know worked and people's response to it was was pretty bizarre is in a way is is that sort of a sociological knee jerk i mean as far as a reaction goes on on staff or or a side of the side of things the even the clinician side of things the the restraint or the thorazine it, it or is is um, because of feeling out of control, I, I, I'm going to I am going to take a little bit of a sociological jump here because, uh-huh. you know, we talk about this in the context of um, overaggression when it comes to law enforcement, mm-hmm. and um, this is obviously a not. And I don't know if it's that much more than it ever has been. I, I, I haven't really looked at the research on this, but it's definitely more prevalent today, at least as far as the information coming out and how it's presented and addressed, mm-hmm. um, that there are a lot of um, overly aggressive uh, law enforcement uh, officers that um, 
you know, empty their clips, so to speak. Yeah. And I kind of see the, I wonder if, if, if my, if the parallel I'm drawing here is, is inaccurate or not, but it's, that's, it's almost a knee jerk yeah. reaction. Do you think that or am I? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know how much of it's knee jerk or, you know, for people, people our age, we have to look back and wonder uh, around uh, I mean, I mean, the whole idea of, around marijuana, for instance, mm-hmm. you know, and the propaganda and 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 the and the government in particular's response to you mean loco the, weed? Well, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, reefer madness. Reefer and, madness. You know, and, and how the idea that that marijuana is a higher scheduled, uh, higher scheduled than most really harmful drugs. Uh, and, and 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 that that didn't come from science. That didn't come from uh, anything but somebody's idea of of what social policies should be. Mm-hmm. And, and there was n- there was never rational. It was never reasonable. But somehow there was a there was a political need for that. Yes. And so so the whole drug policy around you know around Nancy Reagan's just say no. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which, which, which still doesn't work, well, by the way. I mean, and, I, <laughs> and it's rude. It should should be no, thank you. <laughs> so, so, just say no is like yeah. making a statement, but is is like the idea of um, what am I what am I thinking here? This. Um, using just willpower, right? Yeah. Whereas no thank you is is actually making a choice. Well, <laughs> there's a difference between the two. And, and I'm I'm particularly concerned right now because there's a there's a push on some levels just to go back to the lock them up deal. Yeah, <clears throat> and and that that's proven not to work. You know, back <clears throat> back in Utah, back to our original conversation around the prison diversion program. That was a highly, highly, highly effective program. Mm-hmm. You know, at the time, uh, we were looking at 75% recidivism rates for people that we put in prison. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, which is... W- which is pretty normal. Yeah. yeah. Where where we were having we were having the flip side effect. We, we 75% were, of the well, people yeah, were going through your diversion oh, program. Oh, yeah. We had, we had rare, rare people that were going back into the system. Mm-hmm. They were actually getting it. They were understanding how their criminal thinking or, or their substance abuse or whatever issue they had mm-hmm. uh, was, was how that was counterproductive and, and, and robbed them of the, the meaning and happiness in their lives. And, and after 18 months of treatment, rather than, rather than 18-month prison uh-huh. uh, sentence, <clears throat> 18 months worth of therapy, especially intensive therapy, they got it. They completely flipped their lives around. And, 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 and the, the, the icing on the cake is it was uh, probably half the price. We were charging right. the state half the price right. of what it cost them to lock somebody yeah, up. It's expensive and, to and, do and, that. Very and, expensive. Oh, yeah. And so, so mostly what, what, what you hear from politicians is, well, we're going to protect the community. Right. Well, and isn't this really, this is the sales job, and I'm going to go ahead and jump exactly. into this, yeah. this issue, is that um, this became... 
where uh, the prison system became and incarceration became yes. a uh, financial exactly. business. Yep. That um, certain people saw this as a growth opportunity. Um, and so if you build more prisons, then you need more prisoners. Yes. And to get more prisoners, you need to, instead of helping them stay out of the system, you've got to keep them in the system longer because it generates money. And the strange part about this cycle, and I, I, I know I can, I, I mean, I can hear the, some of the backlash that comes from this and I'm not trying to be projecting, but I, I know that this is, <laughs> even though this ends up going into corporations quite often because so much of this has become private privatized over the last 20 mm-hmm. years. Um, it's still taxpayer money. Yeah, that's that's funding it. I mean, yeah. it's, the corporations are, are, not, are not doing that. They're getting paid to um, run and incarcerate these the men and the women that are in there. They really are. Yeah, they really are. And I, I'm not going to throw any names like Jeff Sessions out or anything like that. But <laughs> yeah, don't, but we don't want to talk about Jeff Sessions. There, there, there are a few people that that you know get paid to promote these policies. Yeah, you know, uh, lock them up. It's a big business now, and 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 the you know sociology. Uh, you look at you take the head of household out of the family. Mm-hmm. That's what you and I do for a living. Is mm-hmm. is we we clean up the pieces. We we clean up the mess around what happens when you destroy the family unit uh, around um, marijuana, for instance. Yeah, you know. It, which is the, the insanity associated with that. Oh, it, it absolutely is. It's it just... It, Again, corporations get involved in this. I mean, Anslinger is who basically was overseeing the way drug policy, and this goes obviously back to the, the beginning, of the early part of last century. Um, his use of uh, the... His use of power to demonize... Um, uh, culture, race, um, and uh, drug use, um, and use that as a way to solidify power um, for himself and for and you know and for certain businesses that um, saw some of these things as you know that um, did not saw, saw that it was going to be interfering with their own um, corporate profit agenda um and marijuana is an easy one to hit because you know hemp is one it was a great fabric and why why grow why why grow something that you know has multiple uses well and Um, it was racist yeah and it's it's racist right it it was racist you know they didn't go out they tried to go after alcohol but uh, that didn't work that didn't work because that's what white people did you know, yeah. it was the cocaine and the marijuana and the opium because they wanted to they wanted to target immigrants. They yeah. wanted to target the Chinese and the black people and the Mexicans. And all those substances were legal, by the way, until yeah. corporations decided that they wanted to be able to to be the um, the conduit in which they were delivered. I mean, and I'm not talking the soda pop, you exactly. know, and, and and the cough syrup. Yep. Um, I don't remember what I was watching the other night. Maybe it was uh, well, okay. I'm out myself. Bill Mayer, I think, talking about how you know it used to be opium in yeah. in kids co- in kids cough syrup. Well, right? yeah. yeah, we used to epicac or not epicac. What was it? We used to dilated. No, 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 no. We we used to uh, 
when my kids were little and they would have colic, mm-hmm. there was a that, remember that drug that we used to give them the little uh, eyedropper and it, I think it had opium or it had codeine. No, was no. it? Or maybe. A, well, I was I was giving codeine as a kid because I was allergic to aspirin. They didn't have Tylenol back then, and and so I had these little tiny codeine pills that I was prescribed from the age of six on, so to deal with pain. Yeah. Or, you know, a headache or something like that. Not the best thing for a headache. <laughs> <laughs> I hated the taste of those. Like, I put it in my mouth and I just go, oh, that was terrible. How would anyone ever want to take one of these, you know? <laughs> Youth. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the, the idea I think that we can agree on is that the, uh, the mental health field and uh, and and corrections has never been uh, it's never been science based true true it's been corporate based it's, it's been, been corporate been, based it's been who can make money off of yeah. it and th- those and those and those corporate sales pitches um, you know for uh, creating but, well first of all I want to actually I want to go back a little bit the the issue with with marijuana is changing so quickly that there's there's no going back now I no. mean as much as they want to put the brakes no. on it or change it it's not going to happen nope. you know I mean here in Utah they'll put it off as long as they can but you know we have coming up on the uh, this fall they, they've got enough signatures to put it on yeah. the ballot and you know uh, the uh, obviously the church and and local politicians um, I had a guy on last week that basically um, eviscerated um, you know Herbert because you know he, he 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 said if they'd even passed this this you know revised marijuana medical bill that was was going through the Senate and the House here that he wouldn't have signed it anyway because you know of, of his ties to you know the the other organizations and institutions in the state that that fear this you know that um, still prefer that people use you know a higher schedule I mean uh, a, a a more um, a drug that is more dangerous, that is causes more problems, and that more people die from, than to you know give put the power into or give the the power and the choice to human beings. Well, because it cuts a lot of the people out of the loop. It cuts doctors. It cuts insurance companies. It cuts, in essence, it cuts politicians out of it because they don't get their kickbacks. They don't get their, you know, who do you think funds our politicians now? You know, if it's not the drug companies and the- Santa Claus, <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, that's because you know, well, Santa Claus, you know, isn't real. I just sorry, you know, if I offend anyone with that. Um, so that's kind of how I, I, I think and I look back and and see this dynamic that's perpetuated over for so long. We're talking hundred, uh, you know, probably one hundred and fifty years now that you know this idea of controlling um, humans through uh, you know uh, limiting their access to things in life and whether you know, I, gee. Uh, you know, I mean, you, we could, I suppose, look at this from, from the different kinds of social experiments that have happened in different places around the world. Um, and with substances, and even though it, it's an area that you and I work in, you know, on a day-to-day basis, um, this idea, and, and you know, I, I would like to, you know, kind of hear what your, your thoughts and views on this is um, this sort of movement towards 
how addiction and addiction to anything. I mean, we're, we we do deal a lot with substance abuse, obviously, but that's not the only addictions that we we work or treat the people our clients with. I mean, there there's so many cross addictions that are happening. But just from that perspective, the idea of addiction being sort of the opposite in some ways of connection, um, mm-hmm. of vulnerability, of being able to be honest. Um, you know, uh, one of our colleagues always, I've heard him say this over and over again, and, and a number of, of therapists uh, that, that, that if one can be honest or, you know, mm-hmm. then the four agreement is the term impeccable with your word. If one can live impeccability, live with a high level of impeccability in their life, most of this stuff kind of goes away up to a certain extent. Because yeah. we learn to, we learn to, to be honest with ourselves. Being honest with everyone else, you know, around us, that's sort of secondary. But being honest with ourselves is where everything begins, you know. Yeah. Can, I, can I be honest with who I am? Can I be honest with how I think and the choices I make? And can I be honest as far as the way in which I process, you know, my emotional responses to things? And, and having a, a bit of an understanding of that and being able to be honest and come from a place of, of integrity definitely changes the, mm-hmm. the playing field. And I think sometimes... <clears throat> <clears throat> that becomes our focus often is how do we, is there a way to actually teach somebody? And I know the word teach is a little fuzzy here, but to, to become honest to with themselves, is there a way to do that? And, and I know anyway, I'll just, I'll just leave that. Well, I, I think in our society it becomes, uh, uh, incrementally harder to do that just because of the things that you're talking about as I think I think because of technology we have become more socially isolated um, so much so yes and, and, and here's a contrast I'll draw um, <clears throat> excuse me and, and as I grew up, you were you were you spent most of your time around your primary family unit mm-hmm. and 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 you interacted and and you got so used to the people that you were so close to that your your cognitive dissonance you couldn't develop a lot of cognitive dissonance okay mm-hmm. in other words if if you went out and you did something that was against the rules. Everybody knew it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you couldn't say, you couldn't come up with, you couldn't, it was hard to go into that victim stance. Uh-huh. I was just blah, 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 because everybody in the family would call bullshit on you. Right. Okay? Now that doesn't happen. Now that doesn't happen. Mm. You know, uh, pe- people, people that... Their interaction with others is so diverse that 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 very little time is spent with any one individual. So so nobody gets a real good view of you as a person. Mm-hmm. Now, in general society, and so it's really easy to become the chameleon. It's really easy it, to. That's true. It, yes. It's really easy yeah. to say, "Well, here's who I am," and present that story that you want to develop about yourself to others, and 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 it becomes more believable because nobody's around to see it. Hmm. Does that make? Totally, it makes complete sense. Yeah. The well, the, the idea of being able to adapt, and maybe adapt is not the best word, but it, there, there's a certain amount of adaptation there, uh, because being a chameleon, we have to we have to be able to change. At least how we think people perceive us yeah. and how we project ourselves into those mm-hmm. different situations. And 
I, I suppose on, on some level that is especially in, in, in you and I, I, I think both love this, this concept of, of, of the group process, mm-hmm. you know, and the, and the value of it so much that there's, it, it, you can, you can fool, you can, you can pretty much fool one person, but, yeah. the, and part of the, what I heard you say too, was because family, di- family systems and, and the dynamics within the systems have changed so much that there's been just maybe, I'll use the word. There have been some some disassociation in that structure within yeah. the family. Yeah, that um, it's difficult to maybe hold people accountable in the same way. Yeah. And of course, you know, family systems are generally in, in, within themselves can have problems associated with that um, when they, you know, when certain ideologies uh, have conflict as well within those systems. But the more that that you know the the more that social media and 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 the idea of mobile devices have have sort of gotten in between us uh, in relationships mm-hmm. of being vulnerable and honest with people and developing more intimacy with those mm-hmm. relationships the the more fragmented the the accountability factor probably has become yeah. and i wonder if i know i'm taking a bit of a jump here but i wonder <laughs> if that's what leads into this the resurrection of lock em up you know comes well, yeah. from <laughs> you know i i had a and I'm rarely surprised anymore, <clears throat> but, <laughs> but but I had but, but I had somebody recently tell me I've I've had this idea, this belief system that all people are are basically really genuinely good. Mm-hmm. Okay, and in my career, I've only met maybe two or three people uh, out of tens and hundreds maybe of thousands of people that have been incredibly mentally ill on mm-hmm. some level or another uh, <clears throat> but they've all had this 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 basic real goodness about them I, I believed and I've really been struggling uh, lately trying to understand how uh, how a third of our population in the United States can support some of the things that's happening at the very head of our government. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I was having this discussion with this uh, with this friend of mine and and they proposed the idea because I because because for instance I was saying well I don't understand how how after uh, after some of the ugliness that has been exposed and, and self-exposed uh how anybody can say that's my guy, and 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 they they said because that's one third of the people are really not good. Well, and and, and so 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 that's here, slightly irrational. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and so here, here here's where where here's my thought process around that is is. <clears throat> The only way for me to wrap my head around that is that I, I don't believe that one third of the people are not good. Yeah, you and I are on the same page. But, yes, but but, but yeah. what I would have to believe then, uh, as a fallback position, is that one third of the people, uh, either openly or, or covertly, really love the anger that that elicits. That victimhood, I've been screwed. I'm going to strike right. out right. in the most in the most uh, 
blatantly ignorant way I can. I mean, some <clears throat> some of the statements I've heard and the attacks and the just the the real ad you know the adolescent anger striking out tantrum right. stuff right. that people are responding to, um, and that they're actually connecting with on mm-hmm. some level. Yeah. So 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 to exp- extrapolate that whole thought. <clears throat> I'm starting to wonder if one third, or or it's it's more it's more general than you would think that people one third of our people see themselves as huge victims. Well, well I think victim. it's actually I think it's more. You're, yeah. I, I, and, and because that's your one, you hear the the one third victim story or victim stance or narrative, whatever yeah. you want to call it. But that there's confirmation bias in that group that they. You know, and especially with the the, the thing I, <laughs> I mean, I, I do, I laugh about this so I don't cry, but I laugh about it because confirmation bias is so fascinating in this kind of yeah. case. So we will tolerate behavior in somebody we like that confirms our views about things and ex- and accept that and make excuses for that person. I mean, you know, we deal about this yeah. all the time in, in the field we work in. But it, when you look at it in politics, it's like so blaring at times. It's like, yeah. d- does nobody see this? I wonder. I mean, I, I, sit, I sit there and I go, does no one see the confirmation bias yeah. in these things? The, the 30% you're talking about. But the other side has a percentage that feels victimized by 30%, yes, right? exactly. So... It's got to be close. It's, I'm saying fifty percent or over because <laughs> well, somebody's victimized by well, someone along the way. You well, know. well, I think we all do. <clears throat> um, the logic of our society now, our, our society just has stopped making a lot of sense. It, 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 it just, <laughs> David Byrne had it correct. Yeah, 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 it's not making it's, sense. It, it, it's, not. It, it, it's not making sense. It, it, it's like working in a site. It's like living in a psych ward. You know, it really is. It's starting to feel that way. Fascinating. Yeah. That's fascinating to say that. Yeah. But as soon as you said that, I kind of went, oh, there is some truth to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. That that society itself is at a, at a level of um, the mental health of the society itself is coming into question. Well, and we, <clears throat> and we talk a lot about in our, in our, in our, in our groups, Paul, about the hierarchy of <clears throat> of our groups and how productive and how healthy our our communities are, hmm. and 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 when we do that, what we really look at is we look at what what our social norms are, you know, and, and we we often use this in a in a therapy group where we say, okay, if, if you're if you're a healthy functional group, then, then then what you value is you value honesty, you you value vulnerability, mm-hmm. you value integrity, you and you support other people's uh, <clears throat> by telling them the truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even if it hurts, yeah, okay. right? Well, Even if it's <clears throat> about being, it's okay to be uncomfortable. Exactly. You and I talk about this. Exactly. Lot. But but in a in a prison, it's the flip side the opposite. from that, right. that that the meaner you are, the more you know, and, and so to 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 overlay that onto our society is kind of where I see us right now. As I see that though, those are the kinds of principles that we're fighting over. Who, where, where is the, where is the hierarchy of our country? What is yeah. the social, what is the social norm? Who's going to win this this struggle? You know, and, um, and it's crazy to see 
for instance, the uh, Christian. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, the Christian you, you, fundamentalists yeah, you, that are yeah, yeah, embracing you, exactly, a calendar exactly, and a, exactly. a misogynistic yeah, yeah, bully. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm saying yeah. Well, we're going to do that because you know it, it's it's just some crazy stuff now. Yeah, it just it, it, it's it's it pretty insane. Yeah. So I I, I threw that um, I threw some references in there, but I. Because um, I threw David Byrne in there on purpose, because um, I, I think that I, I look back over um, you know music over the over, over the years, and you and I have talked about music quite a bit, and I'm not ready to jump jump to you know the end of this, but how how music is has for so long seemed to be somewhat reverberative of um, this um, social discourse that kind of runs underneath things. Um, in, in some ways, and maybe I, maybe I'm over romanticizing this, and I, I, I will, you know, I can accept that this could be um, growing up in the '60s and, and the yeah. '70s that um, music was such a what's, such a reflection that was what what was going on, and I, I'm not saying it isn't now, but there seem it doesn't seem to have the same impact socially mm-hmm. um, into our psyches that it did before. And do you do you feel this way too, or is it is this sort of my projection? <clears throat> no, I do, but but I have some other probably outside spiritual ideas around all that. Uh, okay, well, <clears throat> are you willing to go there? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I am, but it's but it but it it's probably pretty pretty complicated. <laughs> uh, and I think a lot we of we have a really intelligent audience. <laughs> just so you know, yeah, the people that yeah, will be yeah, listening to this yeah. are sharp people. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of, one of the most fascinating things, and and I, you know, for me, I've been probably uh, on a spiritual journey since I was, oh, maybe in my teen teenage years. Mm-hmm. But but one of the, and, and and I've studied just about everything out there. But but one of the people that had a lot of impact on me. Uh, for quite some time was a guy named Edgar Casey. Yeah. And and he he had a lot of stuff that he talked about, but but a lot of his stuff had to do with the soul's purpose of being here with the primary purpose of increasing their vibration rate. Yes. Yeah. And essentially essentially he saw everything as a vibration. Yes. Energy. Okay? energy yeah, yeah yeah and that certain things and certain behaviors would would grow you and and increase your vibration rate um and it gets very complicated you know in the way that he the, the way that he talks about it and really what he what he means uh but but i think music you know, when I when I think of music, that's what I think of because that's really all music is—is mm-hmm. is a vibration. Yeah. And I think a lot of a lot of the music and the vibration, just the, the way that music is, just the physical presentation of music, the vibration rates are really different now than they were, for instance, in the '60s. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a lot of science behind that. You know, you take a plant and you play different types of music for right. it. It will do different things, yeah. you know, or or ice crystals. Or there's a lot of different scientific uh-huh. examples of what vibration will do. Yeah. So, 
Well, and and, and, I, and I know, and I don't, I don't mind venturing into the esoteric a little bit, by all means. And and by the way, Casey was, I, I think, someone that could have a foot in both worlds, and and explain it in such an elegant way. Oh my god! To talk about science or medicine and being able also to um, venture into soul and consciousness, I always find was fascinating yeah. in his writing. Um, I, there are, you know, some very rational, practical minds that I've admired over the years that also embrace his work and I mean yeah. I admire you too so I, just, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to get I don't want to get confused here but um, th- this idea of someone like that having a, a huge impact on especially when it comes to something like music and sound I was just thinking about this the other day something similar is like uh, and, I, and I'm sorry I apologize for just venturing back into politics for a second but I was thinking about this with with Syria I was thinking, you know, bombing a country that's been bombed, you know, for the last yeah, what eight years? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 been a long time, yeah, and um, it's almost as talking about vibratory rate. I mean, the, the, there's such a shock factor there that what's I mean, I know this, and I feel sad saying this. I mean, what's a few more bombs? But the truth is, is that it perpetuates that energy. If, and I and I, and I think that that's important to to remember is, you know, we're, we're thinking that there's some political maneuvering here going on, and there probably you, is. You think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not like yeah. I'm yeah. Not we, trying we to state the them, obvious. We, we bombed them a year ago, and they've done 15, 50, over fifty chlorine attacks yes. since we bombed right. them last time. And now we said, well, yeah. they did a chlorine attack. We told yeah. them not to, so now we're going to bomb. Yeah, now we're going to bomb. Them <laughs> yeah. Again. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, there's consistency <laughs> again in, so, in so the politics. annals of our government. Government. Yeah, I said that on purpose. Yeah. Um, which really was this, and you know, for those of you that know the reference, Wag the Dog, um, yeah. this is a perfect example of one of exactly. those moments. The one of the yeah. ones. Okay, back back to music and, and that idea. So um, my kids would tell me, and they've, they've told me, and I've, I've learned an appreciation for hip-hop and rap and, and dubstep and, and, and some of these things that um, normally I wouldn't look at as, as in the same vein. So my son introduced me to Anderson Pack a few years ago, and, um, and I listened to his... Um, uh, NPR um, tiny desk concert mm-hmm. or whatever it is, and and I, I was so impressed with this this guy, and I just uh, his music was honest and authentic, and um and it and and it had this deep, I mean, it really had a, a jazz undertone. All yeah. of it was was so beautifully done, and I I kind of went, you know, what where did I miss this? You know, what what was it that that I had some bias towards in mm-hmm. some way that I yeah. kind of missed. What, what he was bringing to the table. And his themes are, are, are modern in, in the sense of um, what some rap or hip-hop artists would do, mm-hmm. but his music is so much deeper than that. Um, and he, he plays with a lot of different uh, different musicians as well and writes songs with a lot of, of, of more popular mainstream um, uh, uh, rap and hip-hop uh, artists. But he brings a feel to it that is so depth, is so deep. And the vibratory rate is different. And that's yeah. one of the things that I noticed. And I went, well, so it's not as much the the genre of the music, but what it something about it it contains. Because there's a song I play all the time, I realize, that I... <laughs> that the, the lyrics of it are, are misogynistic and, and, and um, 
very drug oriented and mm-hmm. but there's the way it there's a vibratory rate of it that that contradicts that almost it's almost as if there's this dance between the music which is so powerful and 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 has a, a almost a, a light force to it and then these, these lyrics which kind of go against <laughs> that and i think i see the dance there and i go that's remarkable how the hell did they do that yeah. i mean normally i would never I, that would not listen to a song like that but because of the the vibratory rate of the music allowed me to go there yeah. and i kind of went yeah that's probably not on the top of my list of what i'd like to listen mm-hmm. to but if they were, if they were, if the, if, which is funny. I mean, words are important, right? But it was the vibratory rate yeah. of it. So mm-hmm. does, the, you know, does that change the intent of the music? I mean, I, I don't know, but it makes me think about this sometimes. And, and you're a musician too, uh-huh, like yeah. I am. I mean, even if, you know, we not that uh, we ha- we have to go back and wax philosophical or stories about that right now. But the the idea of playing music too is so different than listening as well. Yeah. So. What what anyway? What, what's your experience with that? Are you do you still play much or? Do you, do I don't. I I don't think I've picked up a guitar for all that two years now. Oh, oh my! Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just a time thing, and and you you know with guitar it's painful if you don't play often. You no, know, you're right. You know, it, you're right. It, it is. I mean, yeah, it's it's fun and, um, yeah. Okay. All right. But but no, I I uh, it's better than a drug. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely better yeah. than a drug. Definitely yeah. better than a drug. Um, the uh, the other part here, um, I, I wanted to you know venture into before we kind of need to, to end today. Um, a couple of things. Uh, I wanted to know. Um, we, we've talked about. We don't need to. to what brings us discord in life? Because mm-hmm. we, we, I think, we touched upon a lot of those yes. system, and a lot of it has to do with the systems around us. And 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 I, and I know, even my own experience, um, the things that I don't have power or control over. Um, even in the simple corporate world you and I are in, mm-hmm. um, you know, I learned that you know. What stay 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 true to myself. Be you know, be honest with myself, um, and realize that w- what I have the ability to, the choices that I have and that I can make and that can affect me, and it, that that I think anyone in in life they kind of go through and they find out what are the things I do have control over and what are the things I don't, mm. and that sort of being honest with oneself is learning that. Learning what are the things actually I do have control and power over. Yeah. And I know you and I simplify this sometimes with clients is that it comes down to your choices. Right? What, what, you have control over your choices. So there are also ways in which I find um, you know, joy and <clears throat> what brings me joy in, in, in life today. And um, I wondered if, if you are comfortable or would mind talking about what, what brings you joy in the, in the world today, in your life. I I think I'm at a point in my life, <clears throat> Paul, where where I'm trying to find joy in everything. Okay. You know, honestly, I I think you reach a level. Um, I use I use analogies a lot <clears throat> in working with people, uh, and one of my favorite analogies is is the the ballet story. Uh-huh. You know. Uh, and and that is um, this the story where I get home from work and then the wife says, um, "Hey, guess what, honey? 
I got tickets to the ballet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like the I, I like story. <laughs> you, you remember that story. <clears throat> and and when, I, when I throw that out in a group, um, most people frown and go, ah, oh, I can't see Gary going to the ballet. Well, <clears throat> that, that's my reaction, you know. But, but, but being married, if anybody's been married, what, what, your, what your expected response is is, oh, okay, great, honey, let's, <laughs> let's go to the ballet. Uh-huh. And so, so in my story, I find myself at the ballet, and and I'm telling myself I've got this narrative running in my head. I'm the ballet Gary, you know. The, this really sucks. This really sucks. Mm-hmm. Ballet, uh, and, and 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 so I create this narrative around. How bad it is to go to the ballet. This really, this really sucks. <laughs> you know? Speaking of confirmation, yeah, bye. Exactly. As soon as she says I have ticks to the ballet, I become the ballet Gary, and 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 the ballet Gary is not a very happy person. The ballet Gary just you know, but but I agree to it, and I go, and so by the time it's done and we're on our way home. By then, you know, after watching me nod and be kind of a dick about the whole thing, mm-hmm. uh, she's, she confronts me and says, well, I thought you wanted to go to the ballet. Mm-hmm. Well, that's when it dawns on me. I really did. I really did want to go to the ballet. Huh. <clears throat> and... And the only reason that the ballet, Gary, was such a miserable fuck (laughs) is because Gary believed he didn't want to go to the ballet. I really did. I wanted to get laid again. I wanted wanted her to go to Star Wars. or I I wanted all these things from her. Mm -hmm. And it was just a part of the the interaction that a husband and a wife do Mm -hmm. that I actually made myself miserable and her miserable. Uh Yeah. Okay. When actually, uh, the idea of spending two hours exposing myself to a new and and really for most for most or not maybe most people but a lot of people a very interesting interactive experience mm-hmm. and and finding a way to have joy in that mm-hmm. rather than do that I became the miserable ballet Gary. Yeah. Okay. And and for most people, that was, you know, they wait months and months, or not most people, a lot of people wait months and months and months sure. to be the ballet person. Yeah, part of themselves. Well, sure. I think all of life is like that, Paul. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, and yeah, we, we do invo- enjoy vacation, we do enjoy Fridays better than Mondays, but it's not rational. Because it's just another day. It is just another day. It's just another day. And I've lived the majority of my life being the ballet Gary. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we all do. I think mm-hmm. that we all do that and, and, and thus become some miserable people at times off and on. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we really don't get to the point where we, we pay attention to being present and 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 really enjoying life just because it's life. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. and, and so, the idea of saying which is living in the moment, yeah, right? Being yeah. being present in the moment, exactly. Yeah. And, and 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 a couple of 
a couple of years ago, I was exposed to a guy named uh, Corey Rich, Dr. Rich. Hmm. And he had this whole program around uh, uh, the meaning in life and, and tied it into, uh, oh, God, who's the guy? Victor Frankl. Yeah. Right. Man search, Man search for, for, for meaning, meaning and, and how, how people in uh, in Nazi prison German camps could find happiness. Right. And, 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 and it's could actually experience joy. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, uh, and it's a whole concept that, that if people could really learn, you, you wouldn't have to go on vacation. You wouldn't have to go to Newport Beach in order to experience joy. You know, you could actually experience joy anywhere at any point in time. If you choose to, right? If you choose if you to. Choose to. And, and it's quite a concept. So yeah. uh, that's kind of the focus of where my head has been for the last uh, number of years. Finding joy. Uh, it's just trying to find joy. In everything. And, and trying to pay attention to, to really my thought process around why don't. Why, why don't find joy you know catching myself uh and 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 it can be humorous it can really be humorous Mm -hmm. around when you when you don't find joy uh, what kind of thinking is going into that and having the ability to sit back and laugh at that crap it can can (laughs) be quite fun you know really this is the best part i think of man you you used you said a little while ago um you know, people of our age, and I, mm-hmm. which I really appreciate, mm-hmm. because it, to me, it, it's like this is it. Yeah. This is really it. If, am I going to be okay? And I'm, am I going to be able to be present right yeah. now? Yeah, and be and and feel whatever it is that's there, and not have to judge it, but just experience it. Mm-hmm. And even if those feelings are not necessary, like this whole positive negative feeling thing, I kind of irks me at times. I have a story about that. So yeah, that. But to just experience it and accept it for what it is, and mm-hmm. not and, and and in some way finding that that it's okay that there in this moment whatever it is it doesn't really matter no. as long as I can find acceptance in this moment. And there's that that willingness to say I can accept this moment does sort of under bring in that there's an underlying layer in there that is joyful mm-hmm. because I'm just saying I, I'm okay that this is okay regardless. Mm-hmm. Well, and it and we use that a lot. You know, and I don't. I, I never know how, how well it connects with people. How but, effective it is. Um, always, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. but but for me, you know, we have the advantage of looking back at a whole lifetime of trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, and and everybody's trauma is just extremely relative. What's mm-hmm. traumatic to you might not be to me, and vice versa. Exactly. But yeah. but we but but there's not a human being that exists that hasn't had trauma. We have the advantage of looking back at our lives and saying, this time, that time, certain times in our life were really hard, and saying, well, I was okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there were a lot of times in my life where I didn't think I was going to make it out alive, or, you know, this was going to be life-changing, or life will never be the same, Mm -hmm. and that's not okay, and Mm -hmm. all these these horrible stories that I told myself about myself, none of which were ever true. You know, because I was, I was always okay. I was always okay. And what really made that those parts of my life what I would call a negative experience or really hard 
was my thought process. The story uh, I have around yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. The story yeah. I had about yeah. it. You know, the ballet Gary. Mm-hmm. The ballet Gary was a miserable fuck just because Gary told himself that story. Yeah. The, the, the actual the actual thing of going to the ballet was actually a really positive experience. Yeah, yeah. Gary didn't allow that. Yeah. So this, <laughs> you use the example, um, <clears throat> and I've used it too. I, I've taken, I mean, I've, <laughs> I've uh, cloned a few of your, your analogies, one of them being the, the, the grief one. Um, the story of you know how we process grief, mm-hmm. um, especially you know when it has to do with you know um, a tragedy or a trauma yeah. happening within a family system, and then you know it may have happened the day before or hours ago, but for the last few hours everything's been fine. You didn't know this information, yeah. but now that you know it, what's really changed, right? Yeah, it's the story. It doesn't it mean is. that we don't go through the grief process and we 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 go we do that in as healthy way as we mm-hmm. can, and mm-hmm. we move through it. But that it's it, it's part of it. It's the story that changes. You know, the yeah. story of what that person was or meant to me. If, if it's a passing, um, or simply c- coming back to, you know, what what I feel I am based upon another person, and mm-hmm. does it does does then my story change? Not just the one I have about them, but do it changes who I am because of that story, which I find sort of a fascinating dynamic when we talk about loss and grief because as beautiful as I think grief can be, you know, this going through it and experiencing it and coming out the other side and going, yes, this is part of my story, but it, it doesn't stop me from experiencing life and being okay. Yeah. You know, um, the other one I use, and I just use it the other night in aftercare, is the pants shitter one. Um, <laughs> which is, which is, which is one, one of my favorites. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I honestly, the first time you told it, I went, God, that is, that is a gem. Yeah. That is is such a gem. Yeah. So do you, do you want to give us a, I don't want to do it. I, because, you know, because you're the master of this one. Well, sure. And, yeah, would you, would you give your pants and, shitter and, and, analogy? And it yeah. actually happened. I, you know, a lot of times uh, I find myself, <clears throat> I find myself a lot of times in groups or in individuals where, where I really get stuck with with clients, <clears throat> where, I, where, where I can see exactly what's going on with them, and I can just I can see uh, where they get stuck, and, and a lot of it has to do with just the stories they have about themselves that they tell themselves about themselves. So I was sitting in a group one day, <clears throat> and and there was a there was a client that just that that and I it could have been. It could have been. Um, <laughs> we had a we had a client once that that uh, I don't know. They were probably on their third or four, um, four third or fourth admission. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're they're rinse and repeat. Well, yeah, they're up for the exactly, fourth rinse and repeat. Exactly, and, it, <laughs> and and they were they were getting up in age. I think they were in their late forties or maybe early fifties. And and I had never experienced this client before, but he was a he was a real mess. He thought he was at least, and and he was going into this story about uh, about how, how bad his life was, and and that he he just couldn't quit drinking because of his divorce. And he was going on and on and on and on about about how how terrible he had messed his life up uh-huh. 
and what a piece of crap he was because of what he had done to allow this divorce to happen. <clears throat> and and he just couldn't let go of this guilt and shame. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> and then so 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 eventually I said, well, how how long ago did that happen? And he said, well, that was like eight years ago. <laughs> and and so at that it was at that point I think I understood that the the, the normal process that you would do with somebody who's going through something mm-hmm. it was just not going to work right. so so i thought well how am i gonna how am i gonna get this guy to so i said to him i said well that's probably not the worst thing that you've ever done in your life in fact in fact <laughs> and we know it's a fact right because <laughs> yeah, if you've we, been born we know you've it's done a this. fact <laughs> That you did something terrible thousands of times. Thousands of times before you were the age of probably two years old. Mm. Some people, they keep doing it until they're three. Mm. And uh, and it's terrible. It's terrible. And they always look at me like, how could you know? What is it that I could have done? What, what possibly could I have done for all those years over and over? It sounds like I did it daily. I can't imagine what I've done daily all that time. And in fact, you did it two or three times a day. Oh, shit. I, I would I'm, bet. I'm in trouble. And the crazy part about it is that you, right now you're looking at me really confused. Like, you don't have the foggiest clue. Although it was a terrible behavior that you repeated over and over and over and over. But you haven't thought about it for years. Because you were, you were, you were terrible. <laughs> and when they give up, and, and <clears throat> probably seventy or eighty percent uh-huh. of the clients just they don't put it together. And I look at them and I say, "You shit your pants." <laughs> <laughs> you were a pants shitter. <laughs> you were a pants shitter. When was the last time you thought of yourself as a pants shitter? Well, and most people go, well, of course I don't think of myself as a pants shitter. But that's a crazy concept for me because you did it thousands of times. You did it. In fact, towards the end of your potty training years, there was a lot of guilt and shame. You know, because your parents were having to deal with this. (laughs) And they were getting... (laughs) And honestly, most parents, as as loving as most parents are, they get frustrated around Mm -hmm. having to do that. And, and and, And at the end... When when there's that surprise once in a while, there there uh, the best of parents can't hide their disappointment around that turd. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's that turd. <laughs> <laughs> the only time the only time a parent is excited about a turd, just FYI, is when there hasn't been one for a while. Yeah, and they go, right. Oh God, you shit! You finally, thank you. I'm so glad, that's but right. that's a rarity. Uh, and, and and we don't remember this. At least I don't. But but kids were kids were. Kids, I'm told that kids the kids are raw emotionally. I mean, everything yeah. is is you know their their parents' disappointment or their parents' joy right. is, is like 
you and I getting tickets to see Led Zeppelin. I mean, it is. I mean, it is exciting. Exactly. And, and, and emotions are so that we are. That's all we are when mm-hmm. we're young. Is that we're this just ball of emotions. And so, the whole idea of toilet training, and you know, Freud went into the whole anal retentive thing, and there's just a whole psychology behind that. Sure, whole piece. he sure did. Yeah, but, but, but the whole idea that we don't remember that, that we let go of all that guilt and shame, even though we experienced it thousands and thousands of times, and now all of a sudden we're not that. We are not pants shitters. Most people, people that are listening to this mm-hmm. podcast right now, probably will, will will not remember the last time they saw themselves as a pants shitter. Right, right, exactly. Okay? And and what and what what makes it powerful is time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And and the idea that we don't repeat that. So that's a, that's so, so true. <clears throat> yeah. So yeah. so we've got this irrational belief system. The farther we out farther out we are from a certain behavior or a certain aspect of who we are, the less of that we become. Exactly. Yeah. Which is not true. I mean, once we don't shit our pants, we are no longer the pants shitter. We are no longer the pants shitter. And the idea that we are still... Uh, even though we've done it thousands of times, yeah. we've, yeah. we've, yeah. <laughs> we've been the pants shitter for for, right. for hundreds of days and maybe thousands of days. And, maybe, yeah. It, it is the, the story, though. The, the beautiful part of, the, of a story like this is that um, it, it 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 sort of makes it 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 does humanize all of this yeah. in such a way. Yeah. So go. So you know, we'll full circle here for that. Is that. The guy who, you know, was not, was drinking over a divorce from eight years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, the choice to do that has to be a conscious choice on some level. Oh, yeah. There's, and we, we talk about secondary mm-hmm. gains and the payoffs of yeah. this. Yeah. Um, it, the question then gets turned around to, well, what do I get out of this? Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's a little bit different. You know, what, what do I get out of this story? And 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 what misery does it perpetuate that I I, I get to use the use that as an excuse why I drink you know yep so it's beautiful, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, thank you for for doing that <laughs> yeah, today that's good stuff. yeah and I thought about this you know you and you, you brought <clears throat> you know uh, we're, we are we're gonna we're gonna kind of wrap towards the end here but um, this made me think of um, of, of something too that uh, or not made me think but it it, it opened my myself up to the idea. That when it comes to choices, a lot of times, um, just the awareness of understanding that choices exist becomes difficult mm-hmm. for people that have a certain level of stress and anxiety. Um, and I, I've noticed this with my kids, and I'm sure you yeah. have, you have too. Um, with the, the 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 choices don't they don't there doesn't seem any rational aspect to the choices that are in front of me. Like none of them seem good necessarily. And and I you know I've, I've seen this you know perpetuate on and on and the idea of creating an environment where it's we can actually from a, a, a not just precise cognitive uh, experience or awareness begin to get insight into that the choices are okay and without having judgment about them um, the idea of feeling shame looking up at you know at three or four years old and you know because there was an accident in my pants yeah. to a parent you know there is shame in that there you know there are guilt whatever that comes along with it as an adult you know 
than whatever that means, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> beyond, cool. beyond yeah. the chronological yeah. age aspect of it, you know, learning to, to not feel shame about things. Um, and even when it comes down to our choices, um, there's a whole level of exploratory work to be done in, in there. And that sort of seems to be a transition for a lot of people, you know, choosing to be upset and conditioned to believe that divorce is the end of something in my life Mm -hmm. instead of a beginning is is a fantastic dynamic to live by, Mm -hmm. you know, anyway, and I know that there's stories here and and that go along with that. Why do I believe, am I supposed to be married for life? And all the dogma and the theology that gets mixed up in this creates, creates its own level of trauma and and stress and anxiety for people because there's the, the mythology behind it often you know, it is, is, is just idealistic, not altruistic in any way, but idealistic. Like mm-hmm. it's supposed to look a certain way. And then do I have a payoff for believing that? Does I, what do I get out of, out of believing these things for so long? So let, let's flow into God. God. <laughs> I, I introduced theology around the bow way there. But, um, so how, how do you connect? What, what is what is your belief about about all of that? And and uh, I'll, I'll throw in afterlife too because um, you know what what happens when when we pass? What, what, what do you know? Do we do it? Do you do you have? I, mean, I already know some of these answers, but because mm-hmm. um, you and I talked about them, but I, I think I do. I should say I'm making making an assumption there. How, how do you how do you connect one and then and then what do you think this is all about in the sense of you and your as a human being you know I, I can look at this from the Edgar Casey point of view too yeah. that everything's energy and you know once I'm a wave and once I'm a particle and you yeah. know with Alan Watts stuff too and 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 it, it I love it all it just kind of absorb all of this but I know there's there's so much contradictory information sometimes. Um, even with an indiv- a person's individual psyche, that there's conflicts there. What, where, where does this kind of resolve for you? I don't have a clue, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you for coming. Here's what I know. I, 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 That's I, what I, I want. What I do you I know? know. I, yeah. I, um, <clears throat> or what do you think you know? <laughs> I think you know there's a there's a scientist part of me that uh, looks at a lot of evidence okay uh-huh. and 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 I think that I think that rationally we have a lot of evidence that there's a lot more to uh, our physical world than than we are able to measure that we're able to perceive uh-huh. okay yeah um and so, so I was, my 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 thoughts and my direction has has gone off in many directions. You know, for years and years. I for example is is for a two year period. <clears throat> I tried all well, four or five different methods of of trying to leave your body at will. Okay, <clears throat> that sort of stuff just to prove. Do you mean like some type know, of astral projection? Well, yeah, or astral projection. Okay. That okay. that sort of stuff. Uh-huh. <clears throat> but. But I think one of the one of the things that all has always struck me is is there has been a lot of research in the last oh, fifteen twenty years around uh, near death experience, mm-hmm. and and one of the most fascinating things about that is that uh, you would think that <clears throat> that if that was really real, if people died 
went to heaven or whatever concept you want to use mm-hmm. as an as an afterlife, that they would all have similar experiences. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> and, and, you and, think, and, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if, it, if it was all, if, you know, if everybody went to the planet Kalab or whatever it was, and that's what people would would come back and say, here's here's what. Here's what it is. Here's what's on the other side. <laughs> all right. We all ended up yeah. in the bottom of strip strip club. Exactly. <laughs> but it's not. <clears throat> and right. and I think and I think if anything is that's proven through all that is is that people experience what they believe they will. Okay? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and and that actually fits in really nicely with the idea that that we are an ongoing creation. Oh. That, that we are part of the creative process and that probably when we die, we will create whatever we believe we will, mm-hmm. you know, if we really do. If we really do exist after we, after we leave the mm-hmm. physical plane, that it will be, it, <clears throat> it will be something that we're comfortable with, that, that we will want to create. Mm-hmm. Because... Essentially, that's what people experience in, in all the research. And we, we're talking thousands and thousands of people have interviewed uh-huh. after near-death experiences. And they all experience what they believe or what is most comfortable to them. So, <clears throat> um, for us, uh, we probably think about it more than younger people because, it's a, you know, I, and I've often said this and people look at me really weird, but I truly feel like a kid on Christmas Eve waiting to open that yes, package. I yeah, can't wait yeah. to see really what, what, it, what it really is, yeah. you know, because I'm not, it doesn't make me afraid. Um, and I've felt that connection outside of the physical many, uh-huh. many times right. in, 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 in the physical world. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's kind of my concept of uh, I have no clue, but I can't wait. Yeah, yeah. You oh, know? I, well, I, I do have, there's definitely some similar threads there. First of all, um, I'm, well, I, I'm going to be honest, I, I had this conversation with my with, with Kristen recently, and she was she was a little shocked. As I mm-hmm. said because I don't I'm, I don't fear death. In fact, in some ways, I'm look, I, I, okay, I'm going to say it. I'm looking forward to it. Well, <laughs> but, like, but that's okay. <laughs> but but, but, you, but in saying that, what you're dealing with all the time is other people's grief reaction around. Well, you can yeah. be. Oh, and the idea yeah. about hmm. see because. Also, I believe in reincarnation. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I believe that this is not our first, or yeah. probably not our last time experiencing this. Mm-hmm. That we, what we perceive right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and so the idea that anybody ever goes anywhere is pretty crazy in my head. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I like the crazy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean how, how could you be gone? You're not, you know. Right. How could you be gone? I, right? I could be the one I, that, be, you yeah. know, if you look at it the other way around as the spiritual world or or outside of the physical uh-huh. world is really the real world, mm-hmm. we're the ones that are dead right now. Yeah. yeah. You know? So, so really, their inability to interact with us in 
time, which to them is a crazy wait, wait, concept. That, because, that's a whole yeah, other podcast. Exactly. Time. exactly. <laughs> it, it is, you know, so the whole concept is, I mean, I think we're going to have a, a great laugh at this whole, the idea that we're even trying to figure it out right now, yeah. that we're actually talking about it. Why, why are we doing that? I mean, yeah. Well, because we we can talk, and so I mean, what is, yeah. we can talk about anything. That's the beautiful part <laughs> yeah, of it, right? Yeah. You know, because we're creating. Why are we talking about it? I don't have a fucking clue, I, and I don't really care either. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it seems like something to talk. About. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, when I I used to have these different stories that ran about. Well, when I come back, I'm going to come. You know, maybe I'll come back as this or that because I had I struggled with this or that. You know, yeah. these stories. Stories, you know, but, and, I, and I, every time I, I, I think about that, I, I, I sort of project myself into that, and I go, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, if I, want to do, I don't know, I don't even care. But I, it says I'm projecting into it from my story, yeah. who I am today, yeah. and so I, I do believe in, uh, you know, we are all our energy, and we'll, we'll, re, we'll, we'll, we'll somehow form back into that ocean, and then again we'll materialize in some kind of wave at some point, you know, the particle yeah. or the wave. You know? I kind of like. Um Neil Donald Walsh has a concept of of, of we're just God. uh, We're a part of God experiencing himself. Yes. And I love that one, too. Yeah. And when God got this, so I I, I do have a little antagonistic side of me that comes out when I go, you know, who the fuck separated God out of us in the first place? You know, and yes, I do know who did that. But how it, <laughs> and, then, and there are these buildings all over yeah, the fucking no, place. No but the, the point being, the point being, is that you know it's it's good business to have God mm-hmm, externalize mm-hmm, God, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it's it's not good for spiritual and emotional health. No, nope, there's a dollar uh, to be made. Yeah, there's a dollar to be made. You know, yeah. just like in building. I, 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 I know I can hear the analogy, and I'm I'm hoping I, I get a few wonderful comments about this. But you know, let's build more prisons. Yeah. You know, I mean the the idea of creating that. The other aspect, though, is where I do support. Um, you know these different spiritual paths, and 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 even this, the the theology of of you know wanting to create a system is is the idea of creating community. I, I do believe that that's beautiful, and and fine, and and having people come together for shared experience, whatever that looks like. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to be the, be that person, and I work to to not be one that creates um, separation yeah. or um, <clears throat> conflict within that. Because even though I don't agree with you know the the mythology or the the theology behind the 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 story or the dogma, um, you know, because I believe like you, it sounds like that this idea that we are. God, that God is, we are part of that. It's it, it's in all of us. That it's not something separate. That yeah. we re- it's like music. We can res- resonate mm-hmm. with that. So, well, and every every chord, every part of the oh, chord. Oh yes. You know, you're a guitar player. Yeah. And if you don't put your fingers, you know, in the right places, there's discordance. Talk, you talk yeah. about yeah. the dissonance, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. So, all right. Um, well, so I, let's let's uh, let's kind of wrap up today. And considering we're here, and we've we've we kind of talked about transitions in different ways, and and the stories of of what happens and what how we connect. Um, 
what's uh, tell us the 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 music or the song or or whatever or songs that you, you think kind of represent that transition in, in who you are the, the the soundtrack to Gary I don't have a clue Paul <laughs> <laughs> I had one time I thought it was going to be Frank Zappa's Joe's Garage <laughs> yeah you <yeah>, know <laughs> <laughs> I mean but that's not true um so nothing you not, 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 do you have a, any any type of uh, any song that really re- re- you feel strongly about in your life that's kind of lingered there? No, it it depends. You know, I mean, <clears throat> again, I think you know if you want to feel sad, uh-huh. you you can listen to some blues, some real uh-huh. some real some real emotional blues. If yeah. you want to be happy, uh, moody blues, moody blues, you know, yeah. or or depending on your mood. Perspective, it's happy, it's you know, there's there's all these different parts. Anything with a good guitar lead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, amen, I can go with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean I mean I mean some of it has its own personality, you know. Perfect. Well then um You'll be surprised because I'm going to pick something. And oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, we'll, and then you can go. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And okay. <laughs> or <laughs> you've proven to me again, Paul. Yes. Yeah, so, another so, bozo on the bus. So, and a David Nice. <laughs> so, um, would you? Uh, I would have wondered. I thought I. I thought about this recently, and I. I because you, you gifted me something a little while ago. Um, I don't know if you met, you gave me some tickets to a, oh, a, yeah. a show, and I know it was uh, <laughs> you know during um, some you were struggling with some family things that were going on. And well, that was my mom was you, dying. You, mom was dying. <laughs> we can say it out okay, loud. Right. Okay, mom <laughs> she was knows dying, she's and, dead. <laughs> and so um, I, I benefited not from her death, but from your your um, your. Uh, you're, you're wanting to be well, there you can, and present. You can say that too. Yeah. You benefited from her death. Yeah, okay. It's okay. And um, and and went to the G3 you know, yeah. show, which was remarkable. And thank you. But I was thinking um, I would invite you because I, I told you uh, 
well, you know, the one thing I'd been doing um, was I was doing these tea ceremonies. Mm. And I don't know if you're open to that or not, but I've been doing them every month since then. Mm. And um, uh, if you would like, I mean, I could either, uh, you would, I could invite you as a guest. We could okay. go to these tea, tea ceremonies. You'd be open to that. And um, it's, it's a way of gifting back the... Uh, yeah, yeah, that would be great. <clears throat> that would be great. It, it, uh, my initial reaction is it was the ballet, but I've seen how much joy that it gives you. <laughs> no, you you're, we can you're, switch you're, it. Honestly, honestly, I've, 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 I've actually noticed uh, a physical difference in you huh. after you do those. You come back more centered. It's true. Sure. And and so it's got to be a yeah. it's got to be a good experience. I did one this week, and it it is, and I do it. I do. Kristen invited me to the first one, and I just said after that she goes, "Would you want to come back?" And I go, "I'll come back every month." Yeah, they have they have different ones though every month. So yeah, um, I do the community ones, but they have men's ones too, which is an interest. I haven't done one of those yet, but if it's okay, um, I'll I'll uh, sign you up for one. Absolutely, and, and, yeah, uh, we'll go. Okay. <laughs> Uh, well, I missed the first ballet, so I'm not going to miss the tea ceremony. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. All right. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I know. I, 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 I hear you. I hear you. All right, Gary. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Paul. For, for coming by and spending the morning with us. And we will go out today, uh, like we always do, with a, a little Joan uh, Osborne. Um, but I, I have a feeling uh, Gary and I will probably do this again sometime this year, so... Great. Look forward to that. Thanks, Gary. You bet. Okay, bye.